So we are um, taking a break from the book of Genesis to consider a series on discipleship um, called Come, Follow Me. And um, this is the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, very fitting to consider some of these um, needs and issues in our state because following Jesus impacts all aspects of life and certainly um, the dignity of human life and our response to those issues around us, the needs around us. So I uh, appreciate Rachel's labors in that regard and, and her words this morning. Um, so, come follow me. Um, last week, we began the series and considered what is a disciple. Jesus said before he ascended, after he rose from the dead, before he ascended, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. So what does it mean to make disciples? You've got to know what a disciple is um, if you're going to make a disciple, if you're going to be a disciple. And so last week we considered that a disciple is a learner. Jesus is the teacher. And a disciple is a follower. Jesus is our master. Um, this week we're going to talk about the cost of discipleship, and we're going to Focus on that from Mark 8. So if you're not there already, you want to turn in your Bible to Mark 8. You can find it on page 844 if you're using the Pew Bible, the Bible that's provided for you in the Pew if you don't have one with you. You can find it on page 844. <clears throat> and we're going to read these verses. Um, you can follow along as I read. And then uh, just... Ask God's help, and then we'll dive in to our study this morning. All right, Mark chapter 8, verses 31 to 38. So Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels." Father, I pray that you would help us now as we study your word. There's a lot of cost in following Jesus, and we need to look it square in the face. We can't mute it or soft sell it or downplay it. So help us all to be honest 
with your word this morning. Listen humbly to what it says, to what you say to us, to what Jesus says to us. And I pray that we would have ears to hear, soft hearts to receive what he says, that we would be willing to follow him wherever he goes, wherever he leads us. So by your spirit, would you help us as we study your word that we would see both the cost as well as the fact that this is absolutely worth it to follow Jesus no matter what the cost may be. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to dive in here at verse 31. There's an outline in your bulletin. You also see it up on the slides here to follow along if that's helpful to you. So first point, the things of God, the Messiah must die, verses 31 to 33. So Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must, that's a key word, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. So when Jesus is predicting this, when he's saying that this has to happen, what he's saying is, my death, which is soon to come, it's not going to be the victory of the Pharisees or the scribes. They're not ultimately going to put me on the cross. It's not going to be the might of the Roman Empire. It's not Pilate, ultimately, that puts me on the cross. It's not going to be the triumph of Satan that puts me on the cross. It's the fulfillment of the divine plan. That's what this is. So I know exactly what I'm doing, and I'm in charge, heading to my death, heading to the cross. So he says this to his disciples plainly, and Peter takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. Like, what? Why would Peter do this? He obviously didn't get it, right? I mean, it's easy for us on this side of things to think Peter was an idiot. But Peter had his conception, in fact, all the disciples did, of what the Messiah would be like, what he would come to do. And so he's got wrong ideas and expectations about the Messiah. Jesus said he's going to suffer and die. No way. The Messiah, the coming king, It's going to come set up the kingdom of God. He's not going to die, suffer and die. He's going to be triumphant, right? So with that expectation, Peter says, wait, wait, wait. Jesus, you've got this wrong. But it was actually him that had the wrong expectations. They thought they were looking for a holy warrior to set them free from Roman dominion. Jesus was a holy warrior, but the Romans weren't the biggest enemy. He was, like the Romans weren't the enemy that Jesus came to overthrow. These enemies were deeper and stronger. Sin and Satan and death. That's what Jesus came to overthrow. So he sets Peter straight in front of all the disciples. Verse 33, turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Ouch. It's a pretty strong rebuke. I mean, if you're Peter. (laughs) um, The point is, Peter is acting as a spokesman for Satan in rebuking Jesus. 
Look at the reason that Jesus gives for rebuking Peter. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. What does that mean? Well, think about it this way. What did Satan tempt Jesus with in the wilderness? Remember, Jesus was baptized. The Spirit comes down. It's the beginning of his earthly ministry. And immediately, the Spirit leads him out into the wilderness, and he is tempted by Satan for 40 days. What, what was Satan doing? What was he tempting Jesus with? He was tempting him with a shortcut to avoid suffering, to pursue the crown without the cross. So use your power for selfish purposes is kind of the bottom line. Provide bread for yourself magically. Turn those stones into bread. Or jump from the temple. And he quotes one of the Psalms. You know, prove that God will catch you. And then the last one is takes him up to the high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he says, all these I'll give to you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus says, be gone, Satan. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So, again, the temptation was you can rule the nations without a cross. You don't have to suffer. Use your power for selfish purposes. Get the glory without the suffering. What a deal. Just bow to me, the God of this world, and you can rule the domain of darkness under me, of course. course, That was kind of in the fine print. So that's what the things of man are all about. So what are the things of God then? See it there in verse 33? You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. It's the opposite of those things. Jesus came to use his power for selfless purposes, to rescue and redeem us from our slavery to sin and Satan. He actually willingly became weak to make us spiritually strong. He became poor to enrich us with his mercy and his grace. So self-sacrifice are the things of God for the good of others, not self-preservation. I mean, do you see what I'm saying? Don't miss this. These are the things of God. This is what God is all about. Self-sacrifice, love, using his power to raise up from the pit and from slavery to free and redeem Isn't that awesome? Those are the things of God. So this is the dog-eat-dog world, the things of this world. Everybody's out for number one, out for yourselves. And God is doing the exact opposite. That's what Jesus came to do. This is who the Messiah is and why he came. So Peter, get behind me, Satan. So if that's Jesus' purpose the cross before the crown, that actually has implications for those who follow him. Right? So if you want to follow, you and I, we must die. Look at verse 34, second point. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, a couple of those words are, it it almost seems, um, let me just say it this way, a a better, maybe more literal translation, just so that you don't miss the force here. Jesus called the crowd. There's another like New English translation that says it like this. I think it grabs the words better. 
translates the words better. Then Jesus called the crowd along with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Okay? So that's really what Jesus is saying. This is not optional. Okay? If, if you want to follow Jesus, this is what you've got to do. Here's what it means. This is what you're signing up for. And you know what? Jesus is up front with us, isn't he? There's no small, small print with him. There's no hidden fees. There's no bait and switch. With the cost, he puts it right up on the table from the get-go. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 14, 27, um, Jesus said this, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Do you see? You've got to count the cost. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. We must count the cost. All of life. No compartmentalization. No designer religion. Like, well, Jesus, you can have this much, but, you know, I kind of like being in control over here. It's not, I'll take these aspects of what you say, but I'm going to cut out these ones because I don't really like that stuff. It's all or nothing. Jesus is not a garnish or an optional extra, you know, kind of side dish for life. You can't have Jesus as Savior and then refuse him as Lord. You take the whole Christ or none at all. That's the implication here as far as discipleship is concerned, as far as following Jesus, if you want to follow him. So the Lord Jesus is our Savior, and our Savior is none other than the King of kings and Lord of lords. Okay? So we can't kind of you know, take the bits we like and leave out the stuff we don't. So there's a cost here. We've got to count it. The reason we have to deny ourselves and die, why is that? So much loss. It seems like all cost, right? Well, it's because we're all born turned in on ourselves. Like, you do not have to teach a child to be selfish. It's all, it's very natural. It comes very natural for all of us. You know, as adults, we can make it look a little, we can hide it a little better, but it comes very natural to us, right? It's a result of the fall. Our first parents' decision to turn from God and determine for themselves what is good, what was good for them. And we've been all born bent and broken ever since. So that selfishness, that, that me at the center, we have to deny that and commence the death march. So we've got to renounce the self-centered self, the, the self that wants to sit on the throne of our lives and push God to the periphery or make God a tool, you know, to get what we want, to endorse what we want, or even the self that thinks that we can be righteous without Jesus, that we can be acceptable with God by our own efforts. No, we've got to deny all that. We can't. We can't save ourselves. We can't atone for our sins. Only Jesus can do that. So the self must be denied and put to death. Listen to what R.T. France writes in his commentary. I think we have 
the quote on the screen may be helpful to follow along that way. What Jesus calls for here is thus a radical abandonment of one's own identity and self-determination. Such self-denial is on a different level altogether from giving up chocolates at Lent for Lent. It is not the denial of something to the self, but the denial of the self itself. So, do you see, this is a serious cost. This is a sober word. It's not optional for disciples of Jesus. If you want to follow after Jesus, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and die. So we've got to refuse ourselves control over our own lives. We must deny our desire to be Lord of our lives. We must bow the knee and submit to King Jesus, welcoming his rule, his reign over us. He's Lord, all of life, every nook and cranny. We've got to die to our desire to be God. That's what we want, right? Naturally, we want our will to be done in our little world as it is in our own minds. And we get angry when people get in the way of that, you know, like road rage. We have to die to all of that. So you can see this has got like a billion applications, right? Jesus is Lord over every nook and cranny of life. We follow him wherever he leads us. Wherever we go, we are following him. Like into our work, we follow Jesus with integrity, representing him, doing life and work in the way that he teaches us. Our personal, our private lives, our desires and our dreams and our goals, our time and our talents, our money and our possessions, our relationships, all of it. Our leisure and our entertainment. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. He is Lord. We are not. So this is, this is a call to take every thought captive to the, the obedience of Christ. We've got all these rebel impulses and temptations and desires, and we want Jesus to reign them in and to reign over our mind and our heart and our will. All of life submitted to the lordship of King Jesus. That's actually what you're after. That's what Jesus is calling you to do if you want to follow him. If you call yourself a Christian, then discipleship means all of life submitted to his lordship. This is obviously not just a once-and-done thing, like, hey, you do it on the day that you become a Christian, and then, you know, you kind of magically can do this automatically, like on autopilot the rest of your life. No. This is a battle. We've got all kinds of misdirected, twisted desires, and we need Jesus to rule and reign over all of life. So one clear, very clear, obvious example would be in the realm of our sexuality. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. How relevant is that for all of us? We all have all kinds of misdirected and twisted sexual desires. If we want to follow Jesus, we all have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Like in 1 Corinthians 6, it says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. It's just one application. So how does that all hit you? How's this hitting you right now? Like, oh, like you're just under a 
10,000-pound load, like lots of loss and cost and heavy burden and I can't do this. And Well, if the passage ended here, it would certainly be all loss, no gain, and it would feel impossibly heavy. But it doesn't end here, thankfully. So point number three, if you're going to follow, you must believe. Verses 35 to 38. Okay? The question is, believe what? Well, you fill in the blank. If you're going to follow Jesus, you must believe, what do you think? Four words. Nobody's going to try. (laughs) You must believe that he is worth it. Right? You must believe he is worth it. Come on, Russell. Like, there's always a contrarian in the... No, okay. Um, He is worth it. Four words. Okay. So, Jesus so kindly, so graciously follows this call to die with a bunch of reasons why you'd be crazy not to. Reason after reason why we should trust him and take up our cross and follow him. So, first one, verse 35. Do you want to save your life or lose it? Look at verse 35. For whoever would save his life or whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. Look, you've got to see these, this verse in comparison to verse 34. If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and die. Whoever wants, same word, to save his life will lose it. So what do you want? Do you want to follow Jesus or do you want to save your life? Those are incompatible options. You can't do both. So you can either try to save your life in this life, your, your comfort, your reputation, yourself, yourself at the center. You can either try to save that or you can follow Jesus. So what do you want? Incompatible desires. One will win, one will lose. And who we are and will become is shaped by 10,000 little decisions of our wants, right? We've got to believe that Jesus is really going to be worth it. So what does it sound like if you really believe he's worth it? Well, do you remember what Tyler read? Listen to Philippians 3, 7, and 8 again. Whatever gain I had, Paul had this great resume, this spiritual resume, you know, like, I'm so spiritual. I'm a Pharisee, you know, all this stuff. Whatever gain I had, it's all loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, like dung, in order that I may gain Christ. He would say, but don't feel bad for me. Yeah, I count it all as loss, but I get Christ. The loss is worth it because of the gain. The gain is so much greater than the loss. So C.S. Lewis got it right when he said, I'm going to quote him a few times this morning, so just deal with it. (laughs) No, C.S. Lewis is great. Okay, so he claims all because he is love and must bless. He cannot bless us unless he has us all of us. When we try to keep within us an area that is our own, we try to keep an area of death 
Therefore, in love, he claims all. There is no bargaining with him. So reason number one, verse 35, Jesus doesn't want you to save your life in this life because you'll lose it for eternity. He wants you to save your life for eternity and also find abundant life in him in this life. Okay, so Jesus wants us to lose our life in this life because he doesn't want us to lose our life for eternity. That's a good reason, isn't it? <laughs> like if you zoom out more than just the perspective of the next, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, 10,000-year perspective, we'd be crazy not to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Because if we try to save our life in this life, we're going to lose it for eternity. Reason number two. What's worth more? Verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So another reason, it starts with the word for, because. So even if you and I were to gain the whole world, you wouldn't ultimately gain anything. You would lose because you'd forfeit your soul. So you may not have aspirations to be Jeff Bezos and be worth $160 billion, which apparently is going to, you know, be divvied up here a little bit with his divorce, right? So maybe he won't be the richest man in the world anymore. So you could say, I don't want to gain the whole world. The whole point is, if it's true that it wouldn't be worth it, even if you gained the whole world, then anything less than the whole world will certainly also not be worth it. You see? So we can't hold this out at arm's length. Is there anything that you ever see that you're tempted with maybe on a regular basis where you find yourself almost or maybe even saying, you know, it would almost be worth it if I could have that. So maybe your temptations are with money and you've seen people who've retired early and they're enjoying that life on the lake with some kind of Vineyard Vines catalog carefree vibe going on, you know? And, you know, you go on vacation and you see that couple at the restaurant. They're just living that way year-round and you only get close enough to kind of observe it from a distance and, oh, if... No, if you... It's not going to satisfy you. And if you actually chose that over Jesus, you'd lose it all. Forfeit your soul. We could multiply examples here. I mean, think about it this way, too. Maybe it's competence or success in your business or whatever, and you're so weary of failure and unmet expectations and, and just kind of like not getting there that the desire to rules you more than Jesus rules you. Do you see? It's because you actually do want to gain that, and you think that if you gain that, then you'll be satisfied. No, Jesus is Lord, right? <laughs> Even if you did gain that, it's not going to satisfy you. Stop going after the false promises. We could gain the whole world. It'll never be enough. It's all lies and propaganda. <laughs> We need to follow Jesus. He doesn't want us to forfeit our souls. Reason number three, can you ransom your soul? Verse 37, 
What can a man give in return for his soul? Answer? Come on. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing that you gain in this life will count for anything when you stand before the judge of all the earth. And every single one of us is going to stand before him very soon. Nothing that you could give him will ransom your life. Psalm 49.7 Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. So you would be wise to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. It would be crazy not to. Reason number four. What shame, what honor rules you? Look at verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Listen, you and I, we all have allegiances. We all have alignments, right? And they're tied to our values, what we think is valuable, what gain and profit and loss, like all those cost-benefit analyses. So whose honor do you want? Whose shame do you fear? That's going to govern whom you follow. And Jesus is telling us here graciously that the only opinion that ultimately matters is his. The only opinion that will matter at the end. It's what he thinks of you. So he's working on us here graciously to wean us from our dependence on worldly approval, to to loosen our grasp from the praise of people. Look what he calls this generation, adulterous and sinful. Just as an illustration of what he's getting at here. The point is this world is like a two-timer. You can go after her and she will cheat on you. So the world is so fickle. If you, if you try to put your finger to the wind and, and you know, pursue the, the, the approval, the pursuit, it always, it's always changing, right? So I, I read several months ago uh, an article by Owen Strand. He says, the same culture that eulogized Hugh Hefner and enabled Harvey Weinstein eviscerated Mike Pence for guarding his marriage. It's a twisted culture indeed that chooses such heroes and conjures such enemies. Isn't that interesting? Well, that's the world we live in. We shouldn't be surprised. So we don't want to align with that, right? You don't want to get in bed with an adulterous generation. That's just one example. So the point is, where's your home? Where's your team? Who's your team? Your love, your allegiance. Or you may be ashamed of the wrong things. I think we all can get this wrong. And just so that we make sure we put this in the context, bigger picture context of the graciousness and mercy of Jesus, who did deny Jesus in this way, ashamed of him and his words? Instead of denying himself and taking up his cross and following Jesus, Peter denied him, right? And Jesus restored him. So if we have denied him, it's not once and done, one strike and you're out. (laughs) We can repent and we can come back to Jesus and follow him. He's so gracious. But again, a reason here is what opinion, whose opinion is really going to matter in the end? Again, C.S. Lewis, he says it so well. He says, in the end, the face which is the terror or the 
which is the delight or the terror of the universe, must be turned upon each of us, either with one expression or with the other, either conferring glory inexpressible or inflicting shame that can never be cured or disguised. So every single one of us is going to come to the end of our lives, is going to come before God, and we're going to hear one of two things. Well done, good and faithful servant. Or depart from me, I never knew you. Do you think that matters for now as far as who you follow? There's no appeals at that point. So well done, good and faithful servant is coming to Jesus as Savior. I can't atone for my sin. I can't deal with my sin. You've dealt with my sin. I'm so thankful for your mercy and your grace. You are my Savior, my, my forgiveness, my atonement, my everything and I'm going to trust you and follow you no matter what it costs. And by his grace, not perfectly, but we follow him with a new trajectory of life. New creation in Christ, old things are gone. We've died to them. New things have come. And then we come to the end. He's kept us all along, and he says, well, good, well done, good and faithful servant. Or we can be like the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and say, what, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Well, do these things. Oh, I, I've done all that. Okay, <laughs> you're missing the point. One thing you lack. Go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and, 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 and um, you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. And he shrugged his shoulders and said, ah, it's not really a good deal. Wait, you just said treasure in heaven, like this stuff that I've got is going to just, moth is going to eat it. Rust is going to destroy it. This life is going to be over like that. You're talking about eternal treasure in the heavens? Is that what you're talking about? Then you would be like the guy who found the treasure hidden in the field and in his joy sold all that he had to buy that field because the treasure was infinitely more valuable than what he sold to obtain it. You see? So there's all these reasons that Jesus is giving us that we'd be crazy not to deny ourselves and die and follow Jesus. So the real cost-benefit analysis is we've got to count the cost of not following Jesus. Right? Last point. The ultimate self-denial, folks, is walking away from Jesus. That's the way to really ruin your life in eternity is to walk away from Jesus. That's the ultimate self-denial, like the rich young ruler. How sad it was that he would shrug his shoulders at getting Jesus and eternal treasure, eternity with him, fullness of joy forever, and he just goes, ah, I've got a lot of property. I don't, that just doesn't seem like a good deal. <laughs> so one last C.S. Lewis quote, okay? You guys might be familiar with this one. The New Testament has lots to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end in itself. We are told to deny ourselves and to take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ. And nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find, if we do so, contains an appeal to desire. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics and is no part of the Christian faith Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, 
it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And Jesus leaves, loves us too much to leave us there, which is why he says, come on, die to everything that's killing you. Die to the cut rate trinkets that sparkle and just attract so many. I want to give you true joy, true satisfaction, true life. Come and follow me. Trust me. It's worth it. I'm worth it. So yes, there's great cost to following Jesus. It'll cost you everything. But it'll only cost you everything in that treasure hidden in the field sense. If your estate's worth 300000 and the treasure's worth $50 billion, you are going to be giggling all the way to the pawn shop. It's ultimately totally worth it. Jesus wants to give us true, abundant life now and forever. He only wants to kill and put to death the things that are killing us. So Jim Elliott was right after all, right? His credo, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. All right, let's pray, and then we'll have a brief time. We're going to skip the song, and we'll have a brief time of uh, community discussion before we head out. Lord, I pray that we would have eyes to see here how a call to come and die is such loving, good news. I pray that we would hear it that way. I pray that we would see your character and your grace that you would reason with us like this. And I pray that all of us, whether for the first time this morning or for the 5,000th time, would drop whatever things we think are so valuable that compete with Jesus' rightful first place in our lives. And I pray that we would run to him and receive fresh grace and mercy and follow him wherever he leads. We pray it in his great name. Amen.